Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Wednesday, August 17th. Today, Bill Cohan is here to talk about the EV revolution led by two companies, Tesla and Rivian, with two very different leaders. And later on, Tina Wynn is here to talk about the evolving, shifting response from Republicans to the FBI's search of Mar-a-Lago and how Trump is preemptively distancing himself from the rising threat of violence against federal law enforcement. We'll hear about all that and more on today's episode of Powers That Be. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Happy Wednesday, loyal listeners. I'm joined today by Bill Cohan. How you doing, Bill? I'm great, Peter. It's nice to have you back. Thank you so much. I want to talk to you about EVs. Are you ready? Yeah, definitely. What does EV mean? Electric vehicles. <laughs> Electric vehicles. Very complicated. <laughs> Very complicated. Um, as usual with all things electric vehicles, uh, our conversation will begin with the one, the only Elon Musk, um, who, uh, you know, is the chairman, CEO of Tesla, the the guy who runs everything. Musk recently sold off $7 billion in Tesla shares. And a lot of people saw this and were like, okay, he's trying to have some cash flow in case there's, you know, this Twitter deal, which is, you know, about to be mired in the courts, uh, forces some kind of emergency sale, et cetera, et cetera. Um, What did you make of Elon's sale here of his shares? Is this about Twitter? Is this about Tesla, is this about hiring a personal chef uh, and a trainer uh, after his shirtless pics leaked to the New York Post? What's this about? <laughs> well, of course, with Elon, Peter, it's, you know, it's impossible for me to know. I'm not an Elon whisperer, and he certainly doesn't talk to me. I've never talked to him in my life. However, uh, that won't keep me from speculating. Your speculation's been pretty good this whole time with Elon and Twitter, so that's why yeah. I'm asking you. <laughs> so, first of all, back back in April, he said, this is it. I'm not selling any more Tesla stock. So, okay. So now here we are in August, and he's selling more. And he had said he wasn't going to sell any more, you know, like a few years ago. He said his money would be first in and last out, neither of which was true because his money wasn't the first into Tesla. And it's obviously not the last out. So anyway, uh, Elon, you know, the stock is up like 27% in the month or so since he said he wasn't, didn't want to buy Twitter anymore. So it's trading up at around 900 bucks a share. I think the all-time high was just over a thousand or so. So, uh, you know, this is pretty good for him. So why not take some money and run? And he said, oh, it's because what happens if my... 18 or so equity partners who he had somehow signed up to participate in this deal with him in the equity of this deal, including like Larry Ellison for a billion, uh, you know, in case they wig out and don't step up, you know, in the end when he's forced to buy the company, which of course he doesn't want to buy and Twitter doesn't want to sell to him. So I think I said it was um, bullshit in my 
Gone. If I can, you did. That's the line I pulled up specifically. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if, if I can use that word, who knows what the guy is up to? But this idea that somehow his eighteen or so equity partners are going to still be there with him at this moment, I think, is extremely unlikely. You know, they signed up to do a deal uh, based on an April twenty fifth merger agreement, not to like be forced into doing something because the Chancery courts forced him to follow through on a contract he signed. I suspect, you know, as we've talked about before, that he's just going to like play this out in the court. He's going to lose in the Chancery Court uh, by the end of October. And then he's going to have to figure out some payment to make to Twitter to stop the litigation, because I'm sure he'll just keep litigating and uh, they can go on with their life because they don't want him to be required to buy Twitter either because they don't want to be owned by him. He's a nut job. So why in the world would they want to be owned by him? He doesn't want to own it and they don't want to be owned by him. So the losers here are the Twitter shareholders who were hoping to get $54 and 20 cents a share. Of course, it never traded anywhere near that. And it's actually up, you know, uh, Twitter itself is up, just like Tesla is up like 25 to 30% since he announced he wasn't buying it either. So I don't know what the number is that will get everyone to calm down and move on with their lives. I keep putting out there, you know, that he'll have to pay $5 billion. It might be more. I don't think it's going to be less. You know, why he's doing it in August, if he doesn't need it till, you know, November, I'm not exactly sure, except for the price of the Tesla stock is, you know, favorable. Yeah, it's pretty good. I just checked. It's trading at the time we're taping this around like $927 a share. But as you note in your piece, <laughs> Elon still owns around 155 million Tesla shares. I just pulled up my calculator app on my uh, laptop here and did 155 million times 927. And the amount of zeros here, uh, I can't even compute with my eyeballs. Does so it crash your... Yeah, it would crash. It's crashing my <laughs> computer yeah. right now. Right. So... He'll have enough money to pay whatever. But yeah, maybe he just wants a personal chef. Uh, I also want to ask you, since we're talking about EV, about Rivian, mm. which I'm fascinated by for a few reasons. One, I know they're not headquartered here in Venice where I am, but there is a office slash dealership across Venice Boulevard from like where I live. Katie is really interested in getting a Rivian one day. Not that we can afford it because the starting price for some of these things is like $86,000. But you're not paying for gas. <laughs> so that's the edge. That's right. What do you think is their competitive advantage against Tesla? Or are they not even trying to compete? Are they, are they selling a completely different product? They're actually selling a different product at this point. I mean, uh, I think Tesla has some sort of crazy pickup truck they've designed that looks like a Mars lander or something. I don't know what it looks like. Rivian is more competing with the Ford F-150, you know, electric Ford F-150, which is ironic because Ford was once upon a time a big investor in Rivian. And they also have an SUV, which I think, which is what I've ordered, which is totally unique on the market. So they're not really competing with Tesla, except for the fact that Tesla is the leading electric vehicle manufacturer. And so you probably are at one point, if you're going to go the EV route, you're going to consider buying a Tesla uh, as opposed to maybe a, a Rivian, which is more expensive. One thing, uh, we were we were walking our dog down Venice and, and walked by and they're having like a little 
kind of open house at the office or something on a Saturday. It wasn't, again, this isn't a dealership in Venice. It's just like an office, but there was a couple like Rivians in the parking lot that they were showcasing. And they said that there was an 18 month back order on pretty much all their vehicles. And then I, I went online and there are some used ones for mm. sale, but they're available like in, in like Orange County. Uh, but they're because they're available right now, the price point is like 100K. Whoa. <laughs> so people willing to pay a little more just to get it now. But why is the back order so long? Is this a supply chain thing or is this a, is a larger like problem for Rivian? Well, I think most electric vehicle manufacturers right now are dealing with supply chain issues. And R- Rivian has a problem specifically with you know, the computer chips and getting access to the Intel computer chips in a priority way because they're actually not that big a manufacturer yet. So, I mean, it's like this conversation that RJ has to have with the people at Intel about getting a higher priority on the Intel computer chip chain. Um, But, you know, they are just still gearing up their manufacturing capability in normal uh, Illinois they think they're going to do 25,000 pickups and SUVs this year. So the backlog is, you know, something like 75,000. And they hope to make 125,000 SUVs and pickups once they're, you know, fully operational, probably at a new, between normal and a new plant they're building in Georgia. So, you know, I think they're just having supply chain issues. They're having manufacturing issues. I don't think they run 24-7 yet. You know, I think it's a real contender. It's got a lot of money because it did the biggest IPO of 2021, raised 12 plus billion dollars. It's got like 15 billion of cash on hand, but it's, you know, losing, it's going to lose $5 billion this year. So, you know, it's got to get its act together, but I think it will. Um, I hope you got a cool color. These things look really cool. Yeah, they are cool. This is not an ad for Rivian. We are just talking about EVs and the marketplace and the news, obviously. (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) All right, Bill. Thank you so much, man. Thank you. Okay. Welcome back. I'm Ben Landy here with Tina Nguyen. And at the moment that we're recording this, it's been about a week since the FBI searched Mar-a-Lago. What's really amazing about all this is how it's also become a real-time case study in how the GOP Trump-defending political media immune system has gone into overdrive to create all these sort of half-baked defenses for his behavior. Tina, can you sort of walk us through what that evolution has looked like over the last couple of days? Sure. Um The thing that struck me was how quickly at least half to three quarters of the GOP immediately went Trump is the victim of a political witch hunt once again. Like you had the minority leader of the House of Representatives saying it, House leadership saying it, as many senators who could safely say it as possible saying it. People I spoke to who were close to Trump were saying, this is great. We've got this rally around the flag effect. Now DeSantis is no longer going to be a thing. Ha ha ha. And then within days when the Justice Department revealed actually we were trying to recover state secrets, then all of a sudden it was like this giant balloon had been deflated. Like I honestly thought in the days leading up to that revelation that the GOP was overreacting rather quickly. Yeah, it's been fascinating, Tina, to watch how these justifications have evolved. Obviously, there was one point at which people were suggesting that the FBI had planted these documents 
Then they acknowledged, okay, the documents were definitely there. Then you had, you know, Dana Perino on Fox saying, short of the nuclear codes being in the basement of Mar-a-Lago, I don't see what the big deal is. And then it turns out, well, maybe they weren't the nuclear codes, but they were top secret nuclear related materials. We're still waiting to find out exactly what that means. We are now definitely at the, but what about Hillary? What about Hillary's emails? point. We're also at the phase where Trump is like, oh, actually, they were all declassified because I said so. And there's just like no documentation backing any of that. Right. John Solomon, speaking on behalf of Trump, claimed that Trump had a standing order to declassify any documents that he removed from the White House, I guess. But we are waiting to see any kind of proof that that was real. And it's also not clear whether that would stand up to to legal scrutiny. It seems like it's part of a pattern that the Trump administration has whenever they're in trouble, which is stall, lie, when they're caught, come up with some crazy extrajudicial strategy to explain it, hope that it gains traction among their followers. The thing is that this time they don't have the excuse that we were able to fall back on during the January 6th riots, which was, oh, these people just kind of got out of hand and are just like, a little too overzealous and they, oops, they ran into the Capitol. This time there are people like trying to commit premeditated murder in his name. Yeah, you're referring to the fact that there has been this backlash, um, a lot of antagonism, violent threats towards the FBI to the judge who signed the subpoena order, which does seem like it's on the verge of getting out of hand. Oh man, over the weekend, there was a man who was shot and killed at the FBI after he literally launched an attack on the office. Reportedly, he posted on Truth Social that he was about to get into a shootout with the FBI. He attended the Capitol riots. Like, this is a man who is clearly acting with the intent to take down as many FBI agents as possible. The more that the Trump administration engages in this warlike stance, the more their followers are going to take this up as a cause. And I think it's a decision on whether the Republican Party is going to take that step or not. And one is hoping that they don't. I'll put it that way. Well, we saw some early indications of where they're going here. Trump at least trying to sort of cover himself legally, saying that he doesn't want things to get out of hand, that he's worried that the, quote, temperature has to be brought down in the country. So you do see this dawning realization among some leadership in the GOP, including Trump himself, that the extremely heated, verging on violent rhetoric towards the FBI could have really dangerous consequences. And this Trump bump we've been talking about, where we've seen the former president's polling shooting up as a response to being the alleged victim of the FBI, could result in something truly terrifying and violent on the scale of January 6th, perhaps, that would cause all of that goodwill and circling the wagons effect we've seen disappear overnight. How does the Trump administration and the GOP get out of this? Like they've already permitted so much in the name of protecting Trump. When are they going to stop? And when are they going to say enough is enough? Yes, the serialization is dawning on them. It's just that like, how do they put this back in the bottle? I truly don't know. I don't know if they know, but I think it would require a severe reckoning on their part. Yeah, it's terrifying, and I I don't know how it's going to end either. But Tina, thanks for stopping by and explaining where we are at this point. And we'll definitely have you back on to talk about where we are a week from now. And with the caveat that everything might change between the time we tape this and the time this episode comes out. Who knows? That's right. That's right. 
Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13. 